0: Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 87 in our teaching series, as in the days of Noah, titled "Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 22, Chapter 17: Misdirected Passion." Our teacher is Alan Smith. Good morning, class. How are you? So good to be here and to be excited about what the Lord's doing. My goodness, if you're keeping up at all with what's happening on outside of Alexander County, there's <laughs> so. There is a world out there. I'm not sure if I'd go much further than Alexander County or not, but there is a world out there, and is it forever moving and shaking? And if you're living life to have a place of normal, I think that ship has sailed. I don't think that normal is part of what's going on right now, Is and I'm constantly trying to catch my footing on what where we are this week over last week. Either one of two things is happening, either I'm getting older and can't keep up or things are moving faster, I choose to believe it's moving faster, and we'll see what happens here. Okay, here we are, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, and I got this funny feeling I'm going to be doing this when he appears in the sky. (laughs) As as, as I look up, I saw this past week, I'm ordering the book, I forget the name of the author now, but he was a
1: recommended
0: by another, and the title of his book, his new book is Look Up. So we're getting, you know, the end times and and all of this stuff. Now we're up to Look Up, and that's that's the next book to be read in the series of events. The Son of Man is Coming. I'm going to pick up here quickly because I'm trying to go somewhere. I didn't get there very quickly last week, so I'll try again this week. I started in chapter 17, and I was speaking about the Euphrates River and a few things, and then I somehow got from Euphrates to I jumped the Mississippi and went west. <laughs> and, uh, maybe I got too confused or something. I don't know. I went back and did look at a little of it to see what in the world I was doing, and I hope someone knows. Okay, 17. Revelation 17, I'm picking up here. I want to hit a few, few of these chapters as we move through them quickly. Revelation 17, and there came one of seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me and saying unto me, come up hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So we start seeing this term here, the great whore. This is used a lot in scripture, this type of an allusion to a thought pattern. It's basically a false affections is what that is. It's a false allegiance, false affections, and the spirit of man has a, where things get messed up, if you will, is man has, a healthy man and woman has within them passions, and passion, passion is a motivator to the human spirit. If you have no passion, we say we're in depression or whatever. A depressed state is a state of no passion. Well, that's not exactly right. It's, it's a state of misdirected passion is what depression is. And we're putting, we're spending passion but in the wrong direction. And so therefore the passion pulls us down instead of motivates us up. You hit a point in going depressed where there's no, you don't feel, there's no passion. You hit a play, you're depressed. You don't want to motivate. You don't want to get up this morning. You have a level of sadness and depression starts setting in and what, but you got to understand how the depression works to the human soul. It's it's directing passion in the wrong direction. I call it misdirected passion. If a person has an affair or something like that, it's misdirected passion, right? You're having a passion spent in the wrong. It's misdirected. And I know how people, you have to decide in your life, does your spirit, man, rule over your passion or does your soul? And so that's what we call discipline and self-discipline. You don't want to kill passion. You want to direct passion. You've heard of uh, the movie, The Passion of Christ. Why did they use the word passion? Because it's it's one of the biggest words in scripture. Passion is where, if you will, the anointing flows. It's that part of you that God's given us. It's the motivator. I know you, a lot of people try to take herbs and different things for motivators, and I get all of that, but it's a humans, as humans we have passion, it's to be developed, and it's to be, to be directed in, in the right places. Passion gone bad, if you will, is can go into depression, and that means that we're focusing our passion on the terms use negative things, and this is not a about positive thinking. Well, I'm positive that positive thinking won't work. But it is a point of understanding, like in the movie The Passion of Christ. Christ directed his passion to the cross. So everything within Christ, all of his passion to save humanity, 100% of his passion he directed to the cross to save humanity. That's what motivated him to hang there. He didn't have to, but to overcome the pain, to overcome all of the... Can you imagine how much passion, and I'm using this in the term of the love of God, how much passion it would take to overcome all the sin of the world in one time? I mean, that's a lot of negative to overcome at one time. So Christ, for him to go to the tree, he had to direct 100% of his passion to go there or a percentage of his passion would have held him back. So he had to positively direct 100% of his passion to hang on that cross and bleed and die for us. And you need to understand this, man didn't kill Christ. We, we didn't. Our sins put him to the cross, but he gave up his life through passion, the passion of the Christ, is that he spent all of his passion on the cross, one split event. And so we understand and we start seeing that passion's a big deal in the great whore here. What this does is it causes the idea of this spirit that's here is to cause you to spend your passion in the wrong place. I've talked to with many young men that are homosexual and I explained this to them, that you have misdirected passion. You're experiencing or you're expressing your passion in in the wrong direction. You've heard that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And why do you say such a thing? It's because an idle passion is easily misdirected, if you can hear that. An idle passion is easily uh, misdirected. So passion is the motivator of the human spirit which God's given to mankind. So you either spend that passion on yourself, that's what we call selfishness, or you can spend it on others. Passion is in the spirit. Passion is unto, is compared to like a river. Passion is something that needs to flow outward. And as passion flows outward, it is replenished with more passion. So therefore, passion tends to have a shelf life to remain healthy. It has a shelf life in which to remain healthy. And so it is necessary that passion be spent. Sin comes from misdirected passion and the spending of passion. Now, there just so happens there's a little bit of a spiritual high, if you will, being replenished with passion from the Holy Ghost. It's a little bit of a spiritual high there that feels good. That's the reason when you help others or bless others, there comes with that a good vibe, if you will, a good feeling. When we sin, believe it or not, you get a bad feeling is what happens. We we do not sin well. We were not created to sin. And so, therefore, when we sin, you see, actually, you know, the scripture says that Satan basically doesn't have any power. He's been defeated. And I believe that to be a true statement. But he is a chief manipulator. He's a chief with witchcraft, which is uh, manipulation. Uh, He is incredible. So the only thing he can do is cause us that has passion to misdirect it or misuse it. And then the Holy Spirit of God anoints us in our passion. And that anointed passion is because we have now moved in the right direction. It's a motivator. We move. God uh, anoints that passion, and it blesses others with a supernatural measure And that supernatural measure is experienced when it's spent in the right places. It's got to be spent. Now, regular passion, when we spend it on ourselves, tends to not, it doesn't have this multiplication figure of the spirit when we spend it on ourselves. That just so happens, if you spend your passion on me, we're both winners, right? We bless each other. A blessing is a multiplication factor of the spirit. You don't give one, and they receive one. When we bless in the Spirit, what's received from the time it leaves me to the time it hits you, it has been multiplied by the Holy Ghost. So you're receiving more than I'm saying or that I'm giving. My only hope when I stand up here or a pastor stands up here, I only hope. And this is truly what happens, is that you're receiving more than we're saying. And you see, that's our hope when we stand up here, knowing that we can't do the word justice, but we do know a secret of the Spirit is when we speak passion, and we are, and we speak it passionately, that it'll be multiplied into the hearer. And then the hearer hears it in a multiplied state. Now, as we and I want us to have understanding of what happens with this great whore, and this what we're calling... False affection. That's what false religions are. All of the religions that you have today is this false affection. And so people are trying to do something. Verse 2, it says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, do that in the light of, when you understand what that's happening, do that in the light of misappropriated passion. He carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a cup golden in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, misdirected passing." Now, please consider, we can look at someone else and say, whoa, this is terrible. Any misdirected passion is a passion that's being spent. In, if we're in this end time, which I think we are, you're spending it, we it, are actually fornicating when we misdirect passion. The dark side loves, lives for an anointed passion to be spent in its direction if you can hear that, because there's times we can get to a point we have passion, we direct our passion, and then when we're really seeking to hear, and to me that's where the prophetic comes in, we prophetically start speaking the passion, then it has this multiplication factor that's anointed. When you find a leader, I say that word because it's the obvious one, if you find any believer, you might think that when you're walking close to God, You're spending passions to serve others. Your passions are anointed of the Holy Ghost. You might think you're the furthest away from falling when actually you're the closest to falling and you've ever been. That's the reason I've worked with leaders for years and I have seen this to be true. You wonder, well, how could this person fall? It's because I've learned that's when the enemy wants to rob that anointing and use it for his bidding. The greatest, a lot of people say, well, I wouldn't have fell like that man. Uh, It's like I I think I told you last week that uh, Kay Arthur said that this woman came up to her and said she wouldn't ever fall to another man. And Kay Arthur's response was, it's pretty evident you'd never really met a David. That was her response. (laughs) If I have to explain that, it's, it's okay. Point being, if the enemy is really after you or after something, there's things out there that comes against people that doesn't come against everybody. There's greater challenges, perhaps, than you've ever had. And our, is our hope, and so as I'm talking, well, I don't care who you are, is the closer you're f- uh, following Christ, uh, the more discipline you're getting, the more in tune with him you are. Now here's what happens, and I can tell you the secret door that it happens through. When we're walking with God, the anointing's flowing in our passion. We see the success of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit's doing It's at the height of God using you and you seeing all of this stuff happen. It's that at that height, there's a point there that the enemy says, really, you're really doing a good job here. Boy, you really got a touch of God, haven't you? That's the reason I stand up here and say to you, you know, it's here we try to practice not bragging on each other too much. And it's because it's not we don't appreciate people appreciating us. That's not it. We need to understand that in doing that, if it puffs you up, I had a man a few weeks ago said something very kind to me. And I went home that afternoon, repented all afternoon. And I appreciate the kindness and the kind words don't get me wrong. But I also know what I must do, <laughs> I also know that I re- that you can reach a point of pride, of arrogance, of thinking that you're something when you're really nothing or you'll deceive yourself. And it's not we don't appreciate being kind to each other. It's just that there's a huge, there's a point there that as we're serving God, that we want to understand how and when I'm talking to young preachers, I say, don't ever use yourself as an example. And I did there, and that's always a risky thing. <laughs> Because it can go haywire. It's a risky thing to use yourself as an example. But my point is, what happens, our success, the voice that comes to you is that you're all that with God. You and God are tight. You're a little more special than somebody else. Yeah, you might not admit it, but that's what starts creeping in back here. And as sure as you do that, then the enemy, he'll throw uh, to a woman, a David, or to a man, a Bathsheba or whoever, and you'll fall over the stupidest stuff and you never would have thought you'd have done it. But pride's the one that causes it to happen. And it's not going to be when you're at your lowest. It's going to be when you're at the top of your game. And so that's the reason I, my heart goes out with great mercy to those that have fallen. And you can check back. It's usually when they're right at the top of their game. Can you imagine what would happen to Michael Jordan when he's at the top of his game if he'd have broke his leg? That would be the most devastating thing that could happen to that champion. So it is with us that walk with God. It's no different. It's this great deception of false affection. And false affection comes when each one of us are thinking too highly of herself. It can come at great points of desperation too. Let me move on to that. Of great desperation is when I know of people that are into the new age that before were Christian, have moved on to New Age and to other forms of religion, and there's something in all of us—it's just in humanity—and it comes out of our passions that we'll say there's no other ways to God, but yet we're hoping. Well, maybe there is. Maybe if I was born in a Muslim country, I'd be Muslim. And we can say all of these things and try to figure out why is it that people spend their passion in being a muslim to the point that you would murder babies and you would do these things i think we could all say that's misdirected passion when we sin, it's misdirected passion and so i want us to understand that how this thing works within all of us why is it that we read the word of god why is it that we listen to worship songs why is it that we try to have good friends that are healthy? for us, and it's so that we keep our passions directed in the right direction. Now, there's some situations, and I was talking with uh, actually a homosexual guy about a month ago, and he was trying to annihilate his passion. You know, I've had people say, well, let me use this homosexual as an example. I've, I've been in situations, like with this homosexual, that he asked, he said, Alan, I still have same self-attract, I still have same-sex attraction." I still have it. Pray for him, get up from there. A week later, I still have attraction to the same sex. And I say, okay, but we have prayed to break that off of you. Now, here's what I want you to test. I just want you to test it. I'm not trying to convince you. My counsel is you're still misdirecting your passion. I've had men be attractive to another woman other than his wife. I've prayed for them. I believe through that prayer that it's broken. I believe that they now have the opportunity to choose right. And then the week later, they come to him and say, well, Alan, I'm still having attractions to women other than my wife. And I say to him, well, we have prayed, that has been broken, but I now know you're still practicing, you are still practicing the misapplication of passion. Now, it is possible to appropriate your passions correctly. This can be about, now I'm using extremes, which is homosexuality or whatever. It can be money, it can be anger, it can be all of these different things that are sin because we've got to grab a hold of this that Satan does not have any power unless he uses our passions and he can already use the passions of those that are not God's people, but he can't get anointed passion. We're the greater game in Africa of the spirit. We're the prize game unto the enemy because when Christians enter a room and we say things, whether you know it or not, if your passion's directed properly to serving another, others, it's anointed and people know it. Listen, you can pretty much tell a Christian when they walk into a room because of that anointed passion that's within them. And understand, the enemy wants you at the height of that passion. It doesn't take but one event. The anointing doesn't leave you. Just because you've sinned, it'll start tapering off. The calling never leaves, but the anointing starts tapering off, and I give you a lot of biblical examples for that. So the enemy wants to catch us right at our peak, right at our height, and then when he uses it, he'll capture that passion, that anointing, and then it does tremendous havoc in the spirit world for on his behalf. Remember, he doesn't have that power, that anointing. We do, so it's important that he hijacks it. That's what happens in the book of Revelation. That's what happens when we start seeing these other religions as we move forward in this book. And I'll get, a, I'll get off of that one, perhaps. I hope, test what I say, and I hope it makes uh, some sense, because misappropriated passion is the greatest hidden, if you will, understanding of spiritual warfare. And that's the reason when we say we love Jesus, we really need to love Jesus. If we don't love Jesus, we need to realize we don't love Jesus. If we love Jesus, there's something that comes with a loving Jesus, and that is the anointing that Jesus carries. And that anointing, Satan himself wants. The dark side wants. The anointing is honey unto the lips of the enemy. And it's very important we understand that. And it's very important that you understand the closer to God you get, the greater the anointing, it's the greater the fall and it comes through pride. Just keep that in mind. Now, it goes on here to say, says they have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Today, we see in our country, in our government, and all that's going on, we see mankind misdirecting passion. And once you start seeing that spiritual term, you'll see it everywhere. This misdirected passion, you can see it in our government. You see it happening everywhere because people are very passionate Right? About their ungodliness. This is what the scripture is speaking about the wine of her fornication. Now we see religion is man's attempt to cover himself with God. That's what religion is. It's man's attempt to be their own covering, if you will, with God. Now, I'll put this one in there. A state religion is the most dangerous form of this. An example is forced paganism in our schools. And we got to understand that we have forced. Paganism in our schools. It's just plain words, but that's what's happening. And that force, paganism, is implemented by misdirected passion of nonbelievers. And Satan and the cohorts of hell are trying to guide this passion. That's the reason, understand, passion, again, it's the motivator. It's what causes us to do what we do. All mankind has it then that passion can be spent in the wrong place. That passion can be turned inward, we, uh, be used in depression, and a lot of other, that's another whole thing there. It says down here, the mystery of Babylon. Now, mystery here, and it also uses the mother of harlots. So this is the mother of religion, a religion, is constantly, that's the reason I put it all under the heading of, of misdirected passion. It's the mother of harlots. Now here we see mystery is a comparison to the mystery of the true church. So when it comes here, the mother of harlots is referring to many false religions. The mystery of Babylon, is, which is going to be revealed in this book as we keep going forward, the mystery of Babylon is a, is a big deal. Verse six, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and 10 horns. Probably it'll be hard to escape. The woman riding these beasts or these governments is probably the Catholic church as an organization. Not as individuals. Do you believe that everybody that's a Protestant is saved? No. Do I believe everybody that's a Catholic saved? No. Do I think that the Protestant movement was made up of protesters? That's where the word Protestant comes from. Of protesters protesting things in, in the Catholic Church. We always need to make a distinction in a true believer and an organization, whether it be Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, whatever. It just so happens the organization of Catholicism fits that female rider there. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So that's past, present, and future. Of course, uh, now this is the Nebuchadnezzar dream that this is also referring. You know, it's not really referring to it's two different time periods, but yet it's speaking of the same things. The beast that was and is not. Uh, yeah, it is. is this uh, beast here. Yeah, uh, I mean, this uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this statue. And we see here that you see the Babylonian Empire, and then we got Medo-Persia, Grecian Empire, and then we got Rome, and then we got what we'll call Rome II, I guess you could say, or the feet. It's a mixture. I'm not going to get into all of that, but it's referring to the same thing. But here's what I want you to capture the Babylonian Empire is constantly trying to reemerge, that's the key. This thing is constantly trying to reemerge. We've got four metals here, gold, silver, brass, and iron. That is an incredible study if you want to go there. But the key here is to understand that this Babylonian empire is constantly trying to reemerge. And it's the same thing as the four beast in Daniel 7. Now, in 17, and there, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains. I'll show you what mountains are. On which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five fallen. One is, and the other is not, and yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Now see the word mountains here. The seven heads are seven mountains. So now we say, well, what is that? Mountain stands for the word governments here. Here's the way it's translated as mountains. There are seven kings, five are fallen, We've got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece historically have fallen. We've seen that in the statue, Nebuchadnezzar also. And we see these five here are the five that are fallen. And then he goes on to say that one is. Now John is writing this. So in the day of John, Rome is one and it's it's the one uh, that is because Rome was uh, in his day, John's day. And we see that's the one that is. Now, Rome 2, we call it, and looking at this one with 10 horns, uh, is not yet come, but is trying to emerge in our day. That's what we're saying, that the Babylonian empire is, and we point to a lot of different things that we think are, is this empire. You got 10 horns, and then you got a one horn that comes up. I am not going to go into all that type of speculation. Uh, The other is not, but yet will come, it says, and that's the 10 horns that's trying to reemerge. Now the reemergence is the issue here in this, all of this scripture to understand that this is going to reemerge is what I want us to focus on. John depicts a strong woman that would seduce the world. In the Bible, the ancient city of Babylon was a uh, symbol of corruption, arrogance, seduction, which would have a negative influence uh, upon the world. And the Roman Catholic Church historically has killed more Christians than anybody in country on the planet. So there's different, which I'm not going to go into, but there's different symbolism there. This symbol is used in Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we see that Babylon was founded after the flood. Nimrod was their ruler. He had an empire of one ruler with one language, which we know. Nimrod led the people in revolt against God. He taught them into building a tower that would protect them from another flood and would reach up into heaven. It's one reason they built it upward. Now, you got to understand what caused Babylon to be Babylon. It's because of the misdirected passion of man. And I want us to be able to make that association so as we see it in our own personal lives, the issue of misdirected passion. People all the time say, well, this is what I, I feel like this. This is what I feel like. I talked with a guy, which is a pastor of the church this past week, and He was dealing with misdirected passion. It wasn't another woman or nothing, but it was still misdirected passion, just the same. And he just, he he was getting hung in directing his passion in the wrong direction and was getting ready to create havoc. Now, sun worship, a global dictator, the earliest form of paganism originated on the plain of Shinar. I want us to see this origination and what's happening so we can see it in our day. Nimrod, which is Genesis 10, 8 through 10, and Cush uh, begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore uh, it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord, in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Uruk, and Akkad and Calam and the land of Shinar. Hebrew, uh, Mered, to Bebel, future tense, we will rebel. Once you start seeing that, then you understand Babylon. It is a rebellious group final global global dictator, and this is interesting, will be uh, like an Assyrian Nimrod to Micah 5 and 6. So what we're looking for is the Antichrist is going to be a new resurrected Nimrod over Babylon. As Babylon re-emerges, so does the spirit of Nimrod, which is one man who's dictating over all the languages of the earth. That's the reason today when you see globalism, there's nothing about globalism you need to know other than it sounds like the reforming of Babylon. You don't need to no, a whole lot when you're trying to bring the whole earth back to, together again like's happening today it's done through a lot of different schemes climate control and yada 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 and it's trying to create a fear in which to unite people can you see it create a fear it's through this fear that will unite people it's the only thing it's the same thing that happened it's going to re-emerge in these end times the spiritual babbling. All forms of occultic practices have had their origins in the original city of Babylon. Now, witchcraft tends to be operate in local areas. Occultism operates over governments and countries, okay? So, occultism is more powerful than witchcraft. Witchcraft, we can all, even as Christians, can delve in a level of witchcraft. Anytime we're into accusations, manipulations, all of that's witchcraft. That's more of a local thing. Occultism is something different. It's over countries, over states. And so when you're praying against witchcraft is one thing, you're praying against occultism, that's another. So that's the reason we say you've got to be careful. Isn't that right, Pastor, when we take on some of these things that we think we want to take on? Tammuz is the summon of Nimrod, and his queen, Samarius, was identified with the Babylonian sun god. And worship following the winter solstice, which is December 22nd to the 23rd, as Babylon was conquered, by their entire re- their entire religious system was transplanted. Hang on to that statement. First to Pergamus and then to Rome. So what what we have, what was in Babylon, is still with us today. Is this transfer? Same thing, and we need to see that and then see where it's crept into our own belief systems. and So that's important to see. It's in Revelation 2 there. Pagan Rome is a repackaged Babylon. That's, what, that's all it is. Pagan Rome. You get to Rome, it just repackaged Babylon, but still the same. As these different countries and as Rome and Babylon, and all. they still allowed the people to keep their religion even though they conquered them. And then we find those religions transferred into the new owners, if you will. As Christianity was established as the official state religion of Rome, many of the religious traditions and practice were repackaged once again. And we all know a lot of those different things. And I even know when it comes to Christmas, all of the arguments that some of that's repackaged Rome and, all, and I get all that. But just so you know, I've sanctified my Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if you have or not. I've sanctified. I feel good about it. Holy Spirit told me to enjoy it and I'm gonna worship the birth of my Saviour because I've reclaimed it and redeemed it, if anybody ever asked me. So. But we need to know that is what's happened. Now in Genesis 11, and the whole earth was of one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. They found a plain in Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go, let us make brick, burn them. You know the story. And they had brick for stone, slime they made for mortar. And they said, go, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. So you all know the story. The key thing to remember is they, is they made, in was spiritual sense and if you do the Hebrew they were making brick. Jesus said that the church of Jesus Christ is made out of stone. matter of fact it's made out of lively stone. Religion produces brick. In other words everybody that comes out of these doors is going to look like, going to sound like, they're going to look like a bunch of penguins. You can't distinguish one from another. That's religion. Lively stones means everybody looks different. Probably going to act a little different. They're going to be a little different. But something's supposed to bring us together is the house of God. Now, did you know it's easier to build with brick than it is stone? Mercy, yes. But it's not too bad when the stones realize how Jesus is wanting to build his house. And I hope you appreciate, as I'm sure as great as we have failed, I hope you appreciate the fact that we're trying to build this household of God out of stone, lively stone, and we realize everybody sitting in this room is different. We realize that. We're not wanting you to be a bunch of penguins. We don't want everybody to walk out the door to look like, dress the same, act the same, look the same. That's not what that's not what we believe this book saying. We're believing we need to learn how to appreciate the Holy Ghost in each one of these stones that are sitting here. It's a challenge. With husband and wife, you just got one stone to try to figure out. You ought to be an elder of a church. I hope you receive that with joy. But it's the truth. It's the So when we come together, we try to look upon the heart and not not if we agree with everything on everybody on everything we there's not a i mean today you've got this uh, the movement is uh, is tolerance right that's the movement of the world today and i'm like the church of jesus jesus christ is the most tolerant entity upon the planet there's nobody more tolerant than the church of jesus christ but if we're a religious group we'll be very intolerant unless they look just like us what we've yet to learn is to appreciate Jesus Christ and others. Now, it's a tough one. I can, you could can tear me apart on that statement. I hope you can hear what I'm trying to say and not what I'm not saying. I'm just saying we've got a great challenge before us to do that. So, this is what happened in Babylon. They created brick. and So, we have this huge tower. The Tower of Babel was made with brick not with stone. Now, I want us to see something. Nimrod had set up a totalitarian system of government that centralized control. Now, I want you to see as Babylon's trying to reemerge what it looks like. Why should we as Christians be concerned with all of this globalist talk? We should be very concerned. The height of our concern. Don't have this argument in your mind where they probably are doing it for our good. The only thing I can tell you is everything they do will not be for our good because it has a goal in mind. Every good thing that's done by globalism, every good thing that is done by globalism is tainted. It has a devastating element in it. You've heard me say it before, rat poison is 98% good corn, 2% strychnine. That's how you make rat poison. And so that's the way this whole world system is happening now. So this is what happens. What is totalitarian It's relating to a system of government that is centralized and it's a dictatorial and it requires complete loyalty to the state. That's what it is. And you can see the conflict. Why are we for less government, not more government? It's because we're constantly getting towards this requirement of loyalty to the state. And then it starts taking away our freedom of loyalty to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a battle and it continues and it slowly progresses. God intervened by sowing confusion into their camp. God confused their language. They had to split up and consequently uh, spread into different nations. God never allowed Babylon to be finished at that time. watch this one. Therefore, it has been trying to re-emerge since that day. Constantly, One of the biggest signs of the end times is that Babylon is finished, and God allows it. So as we see this reemergence and this fight, now I'm of the persuasion that this could not be the time. I'm of the persuasion that I'm going to try to mess this puppy up all I can, that the grace of God might abound for another 500 years. It would just tickle me pink that I don't rejoice that this is the end times, but I also understand the end times has been with us for 2,000 years. I get that, and since I do get that, it lets me know how does God want me to feel during this time. He wants me to feel like Jesus could come again at any moment. That's how he wants me to feel. And if I really believe he could come at any moment, I'm not gonna be tied too much to earthly things. Like I told a man the other day, I think he caught it on to what I was saying because he texted me later. I said, well, the only thing I can tell you, you got more to leave than I have. He, he texted me back said, I was wondering what you're meaning, but I finally got it figured out. The world will want one leader to rule just like in Babylon, and it will be the Antichrist. Okay, we're out of time. We'll pick back up again here next week. I hope you, the, my main message and understanding this morning is to introduce you to this thought pattern of passion, how it works, how we get caught up in the wrong paths. Why do we sin? Now, you've got to understand something, too, as I stop. Passion is a gift from God. It's the gift that can be anointed, and that anointing can cause the kingdom of God to come to this earth. So I'm going to close and I'm going to pray. And I pray as we go into our worship that we spend some passion in our worship. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, you know our deal. If I've said anything that's not of you, I pray it'll fall to the ground. But Lord, if I've said any truth, it's of your spirit. I pray, oh God, that it'll be quickened our hearts. Lord, I pray for passion in your people to stir above measure. I pray that our passion, oh God, will be directed towards you in this worship, that you might be glorified and praised. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've allowed us to be here today to experience it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.